Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. While they're taking up the offering, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to start with uh, verse um, 9. It says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, for this day again. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what we are going to study today. I ask that, Lord, this would be preached today by the power of your spirit, or that hearts would be ready to hear, or that my lips would speak words that are true. Pray for this miracle to happen this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, well, let me take a gander around here. Let's see who all's here. We always have a few extras sneak in. Um, uh, I'm going to start today with a kind of a, an intro that kind of lays the groundwork. So we're studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the very end. I'm going to be just in verse 14 today, but I thought, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, the, before this, this is just not going to make sense yet. I need to lay some groundwork on something. Okay, does that make sense? So lay, lay a little groundwork, okay? In this groundwork, I want to say this. When I think about how we relate to the world, you guys know what I'm talking about? The world, everybody out there. What's going on in our world? Does everybody in the world react very well with everybody else? Not always. Not always. Some really bad stuff happens, does it not? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of horrible things. So I, I thought to myself, as we get into these things, I think there's something very important I want to express to you today. I wish I had a whole bunch of time. I could take all day talking about this, but I know that, let's be honest, I don't think you'd make it. Attention spans can be short, can they not? Okay, so I'm going to try to get right to it here. First off, our interaction with the world. So I'm, I'm giving you a summary. If I say anything that you go, I need some more explanation on that, please feel free to ask me. Our interaction with the world, I think, can be summed up biblically by a statement that Jesus made. He talked about how we are to be in this world salt and light. You guys familiar with that passage? I love that passage because I think it's a great summary of how we are to be in this world. We're to be the light of the world. 
right? Pointing to God, pointing to Christ, pointing to the, the truth, specifically the truth of Jesus Christ, right? The truth of God that is found in Christ, not just general truth, but that truth specifically. I think it also has to do with all truth to a degree, but I think it's specifically that, revealing truth, speaking truth. So in the world, that's one of the elements of our interaction with the world. You as a Christian, if you're a child of God, that's one of the elements of your interaction in this world is that you move your lips, right, and say things about Jesus, okay? We're also to be salt. Salt is an enhancing, right, to the flavor, if done correctly. If not, it just makes it salty, right? Uh, but it's an enhancement to the, the flavor. But it's also, we don't think about it as much in our modern society, but especially for that day and age, salt was a preservative. There are many things that salt was used to preserve, and were to be that in this world. And I, I, think, I think I could make an argument, and I, I actually would debate this. I'm not normally a debater, but I'm telling you right now, off the site, when I'm not up here, I would debate this. I would debate that the good in this world stems from what we find in God. I've, I would say, in fact, theologians call it the call it common grace. I, I would even argue that many of the things that we look to today in our world, we go, these are great things, find their roots in Christianity that's permeated the world. Okay, From schools to, to hospitals to orphanages, I could give you example after example throughout history building up to these ideas. It is Christianity that I believe is at the roots of those things. It's salt, good in this world, but also light, speaking the truth. So our interaction with the world summed up salt and light. That's how you ought to be thinking about how do I interact with this world, all the people out there and people in here, everywhere. Number two, our expectation from the world, what we expect to get back, Okay? Now, I'm going to tell you what I think you ought to expect, and then I'm going to have you question whether or not that's actually what you do expect. I think what we ought to expect is very simple. We ought to expect rejection, persecution, and death. I mean, we should be surprised at that. Our founder of our faith, Christ himself, was rejected, persecuted, and was crucified, and he tells us again and again, expect the same. If it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. Now, be honest. Do you, do you expect that? Do sometimes you expect when you go out in the world, like at your job or wherever you're at, and you're, you're, you're taking these Christian principles, you're putting them into practice out in the world. Now, I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about out there. Do you ever go, I expect better? In fact, some of you, I know that you do, because when you're not treated with those same kind of things back to you, it ticks you off. I was nice to them, and they... And I want to go, what do you expect? Do you see the problem, maybe? Do you see why maybe I'm kind of laying this groundwork out? Because I think that maybe there might be some false expectations from us about how the world ought to react. And I'm telling you right now, you ought to expect the world to just be like, persecution, rejection, they will. If given opportunity and time, the people of this world will kill you like they killed Christ. Now, many of them are very civilized and they won't say that. But given enough time, 
it will turn to that. And it does throughout our globe, does it not? Are there not examples of that all throughout our globe? I mean, people have a natural propensity to go that way anyway. But Jesus says, expect it towards you as you seek to follow me, okay? There's a breakdown, though, because one of the things I think that we try to do is we try to get some of those Christian principles, love your neighbor, love your enemy, do good. Do you ever find yourself trying to get those kinds of things enacted in the world? I would argue that politically speaking, on both sides of the argument, many of them that are defending what they, I think this, I think this, I think this, find their roots in something that they would claim to be something very much like loving your neighbor. Would you agree with that to a degree? You go, I don't think the other side is. Okay, well, you're a jerk. Be quiet. Okay? If you take some time and you listen to people, many people will go, I think this. And you go, if you, if you stop and you go, why? Many of them that will come back to, many times, it's in, in their head anyway, you may disagree with them, but in their heads they're going, it's because of this thing, because I care about this and I care about this and I want this good thing to happen. And I think this is the way for it to happen. But I'm going to tell you right now, the world will inevitably take any of these Christian ideas and destroy them. I don't care what side it's on. I could come up with some examples today, but I don't have time. I want to get to something else. But I would argue that every Christian principle adopted by the world is doomed to failure. I'm going to say that again, because I believe it absolutely. And if you go, I don't know if I believe that. Take some time to think about it. If you're still not sure, let's talk about it. Because I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to argue with you, but I want to try to show you. I would love to try to show you that I believe this wholeheartedly. Every Christian principle adopted by the world is doomed to failure. This is why you personally will never see me getting on board with anybody. Okay? No movement. No organizations, nothing like that. Because there is only one movement that I absolutely believe in that I also believe will succeed. I'll put it up on the board. You ready for this movement? The kingdom of God. It's not up there yet. Don't look. I want to read it first. The movement that I'm behind is the kingdom of God displayed to the world in the church. Put that up there. It's the only movement that I think will have any true success. The kingdom of God, with all those principles, all those guiding principles that you find in the kingdom of God, love your neighbor, love your enemy, do good, all those kinds of things that we love and we wish would, would be infiltrating the world. Absolutely. I, I, want that, I want that too. The kingdom of God displayed in the world. The movement that I think is going to work is the one that is displayed to the world. Think salt and light. Through specifically, because this is the only one that Jesus says, I died for this organization of people, the church. Christ started a movement. We call it the church. Every other organization, I believe, is doomed to failure. 
I believe that wholeheartedly. Apart from this, you might have some that have success for a while. You might have some that you love. I'm telling you right now, I hate to be the naysayer. It's not founded in and through the power of Christ and his spirit in the an extension of the church. I believe it's doomed to failure. That is his organization. It's the one that will succeed. It is not, change in this world is not going to happen. Let me tell you some things that it's not going to happen by. Real change is not going to happen by, let me give you some examples. Programs. You ever find a program and you go, man, this is it. I, I've, I've seen some programs I thought, they, like their mission statement and what they're trying to do, I'm like, that's it, nailed it. Man, if we could just get this out to these people and these people and these people, it's going to change everything. I, I, get, I get the enthusiasm. Doomed to failure. Matt, you're depressing me. I'm sorry. Policies or even laws do not ultimately bring about change because the hearts of people are desperately wicked. And apart from the work of Christ through the power of the Spirit, no real change happens. Movements, organizations, slogans. And remember, I'm listing off things that are not, I believe, are not going to have lasting impact. But I'm obviously picking these because I think that me, as, as well as you, may have fallen into this trap of thinking that's going to do something. I'm telling you, wasted effort. Movements, organizations, slogans. I know some of you, that's what you do. Find a great statement. I do this too. Don't, I'm no judge. I'm not a judge. No judgment here. Find a great quote. You ever do this? That's a good quote. What do we do when we find a real good, good quote in our modern society? What do we do? We find a good, oh man, that's, that's powerful. What do we do? Let's go on Facebook. I'm going to change the world. Because <laughs> everybody does read that. It's going to go, I was wrong about all the things I thought before. I'm changing now. Does that work? I have never read a Facebook quote and went, that's it. I need to change my outlook on life. Have you? Usually it's a quote that you already agree with. and you're, you're, In fact, some of you, if you're really honest, you, you post it because you got some people on your friend list. You're like, I really want them to read that one. Stick it to them. <laughs> right? Let's be honest here. I know how it works. Stick it to them. Oh, that's going to get them riled up. I can see their feathers riling up right now as I post it. Oh. No change. Now, I'm throwing all that extra in there. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> I'm throwing all that extra in there because I, I, I want to point out, honestly, I don't think many of us really actually think that really is going to change. Anything. Mottos, groups, these are not, not really, not really. Elected officials, nope. I don't care who it is, who gets elected. That's real change. There's one, the kingdom of God. Displayed to the world through the church. Okay? That's the way it's going to happen. What does that look like? Well, let me read a couple things here. I was trying to get my thoughts collected. 
I think it's by hearing the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that cannot be left out. That he lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins, and was resurrected for our lives. And he can change you through the power of his spirit. The gospel message. Hearing it, believing it. Being reborn by the power of the spirit of God who used that proclamation of the gospel to make your spirit alive in Christ. That's true change. Now, we're part of God's kingdom in the world. In the book of Ezekiel, now I'm going somewhere. Remember, I'm preaching out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Have I gotten there yet? Don't, don't you guys dare. I don't want to see anybody going. Ezekiel chapter 47. I do not have this up there. If you wanted to look in a Bible and Ezekiel chapter 47, there's a a beautiful picture of how I believe the word of God found in the gospel is going to impact this world. Starting with Christ. This this passage in Ezekiel chapter 47 is, is meant to be a picture of when Christ came. Okay? Listen to the picture. This is Ezekiel speaking, a prophet. And he says, then he brought me back to the door of the temple. Okay, now he's using some figurative ideas here, but he's, he, he says, the spirit brought him back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. Does Jesus ever liken himself to living water? Absolutely. Listen, listen to this water that's going to start. It starts there. And I, I would say this is talking about what started when, when Christ, boom, out of the grave. Right? Listen to the description that Ezekiel sees here. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around to the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was was trickling out on the south side. You picture this temple and there's this little trickle of water trickling out, right? Right? Going on eastward with the, with the measuring line in his hand, the men measured a thousand cubits, so he went out this much further, and then he, he led me through the water. I walked through the water, and it was ankle deep. I love this picture. Again, he measured a thousand, led me through the water, and it was knee deep. And it started off just this little trickle, and it was ankle deep. Barely anything to make you slow down, but then it's knee deep. I picture the disciples and those apostles the gospel starting to spread. Nobody knew what it was, and suddenly it's disrupting Roman society. It's like knee deep. But it doesn't say it's going to stop there. Listen to what he says next. Um, again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the, the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? He goes on to describe what, what can only be pictured again in the book of Revelation is this river with trees of, of life on both sides bringing healing to the, the land. I believe absolutely that is a picture of the gospel and how it's, I mean, the gospel is spread across the globe, has it not? And you want life brought to this world. You want good brought to this world. You want to see change brought to this world. When you look out in the world and you see the crimes and the sins of this world, it, the, the solution is found in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
displayed in the church. Nowhere else. Everything else is doomed to failure. Now, with that picture in your head, we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians because Thessalonians is talking about how we, we interact with them. Now, we're supposed to be salt and light, and we want, we want to have, don't you want to be a raging river of the goodness of the gospel in this world? Don't you want that? Paul gets in Thessalonians down to the nitty-gritty. What does this actually look like? I mean, if I just preached that part to you and I said, go get them! Go out there. Some of you might be preaching the gospel. You might be sharing things with people, but... Paul lays it out. This is what it looks like. See, then we come, when we come back together, how do we respond to each other? Because if we're trying to tell the world that there's a kingdom of God, with Christ as king, ought we not to be displaying what that looks like so the world might look at us as the salt and the light and go, I want to be part of that. Does that make sense? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 says this. Paul says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Urge is sometimes translated encourage. It's a come on, let's go. It's called to one side. So I've been this, this whole first part was my urging to you. I was trying to get you stirred up. Okay, let's go. Okay. But then what he says next isn't geared there. It's geared primarily towards what we do with each other, okay? Let's break this down a little bit, this urge to the brothers. And notice this is not written to the leader of the church. It's not written to the organizer of the ministries of the church. Who is this written to? It says brothers, which is brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. We urge you, brothers and sisters. This is where it begins. Notice the first one here. First thing we ought to do. Now, you're going to see three. Okay? You probably already see them. You see the first one here? Admonish the idol. This word admonish is used eight times in the New Testament. It's usually translated warn. I don't remember who bought me this, but just because of this word, I brought this t-shirt today. Don't make me use my pastor voice. Was that you? Amanda, did you buy that? Ashley, did one of you guys buy it? I don't remember who bought this for me. Did you buy it for me? I don't know who bought it. I just remember something. Don't make me use my pastor voice. Right? I like wearing that shirt. Um, there's an element at times when this is the voice, not just for me, but we all ought to have a pastor voice. That's what this word means. We urge you brothers to do what? Admonish, warn, who? The idol. Now, this word is so interesting. I, I actually I, I thought about spending a whole week on just this, this, this idol word. Just, it was amazing. The word itself, um, in, in the Greek language, you put the word letter A, the Greek letter A at the beginning of the word, it negates it. You know what I mean by negates something? So, like, like, we have that in our language. Like, we have a theist who believes in God, an atheist does not believe in God. Right? So, this word is tektos, which means, tektos is orderly. <coughs> the word here that's translated idol is atektos, which means not Orderly, which is why some versions translate this disorderly or unruly. 
It's only used three times in the whole New Testament, all three of them in either 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians. This was a Thessalonian issue. Okay? Disorderly. It, outside of the Bible, when it was used in other Greek literature, it was always used to refer... Let me give you some examples. Military officers, military officers who neglect their duty, an army that's in disarray, an army that would be out of its ranks, right? Not lined up. Okay? Undisciplined or insubordinate soldiers, so a lot of military terms. Also used of a disorderly crowd, so like a mob, right? Not, okay, this word was used for that. Society does not, is also used by, uh, to describe a society that does not live by laws and rules, as opposed to one that does. It's used to refer to people, individuals that disturb public order, one who shirks an obligation, right? This is how you ought to be. It, honestly, this word literally means, it's like, Here's where you should be. And some people are like, I don't want to be there. Some of you had some toddlers like that, don't you? <laughs> sit in this chair. And they will specifically not sit in that chair. Teenagers, notoriously like this. Teenagers find that the, the, the best way, to, I mean, it, like they will analyze your words down to a T and find the way that they can adhere to what you said but they know they're not doing what you want. Is that not the truth? Teenagers, do this. I admit I've done this too as an adult. Um, this word comes up again in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, I'll give you the example where it's used. Um, uh, oops, did I not skip ahead? I, oh, I switched it to disorderly just for you. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and there's a whole section on this, but uh, I just have these two verses here. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, there's that word again, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So that's why I, idle isn't a great way to describe because it, it might lead you astray. It, it, these people could be super busy, but they're not busy doing what they ought to be doing. Okay? Uh, now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly. Specifically in Thessalonians, it was people who weren't work, like actually working a job, but were super busy in the church. Ben Witherington talks about this, and he says this adverb is used not only of what some Christians are failing to do, which is work, but also what they are doing, being busybodies. Okay, so that's what this word is all about. It isn't that they're lazy in the sense that they are sitting on their duffs all day. <laughs> they could be exceptionally busy. What are we to do with them? Admonish. Now, I'm going to come back to these. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Let's get through the other ones here first. I want you to remember the context of these people. Some of you are thinking about this right here, and you're going, I know some people like this at work. I better go warn them. Okay, you're not listening at all, are you? You have not listened to anything I've said. Okay. I'm not talking about changing the world through giving the world God's principles. We, we bring these things with ourselves. We work on these things with ourselves. That's what this is about. We work on these things with ourselves so that we, we're doing them. The way the world is incorporated into the right behavior is not by us telling them, do this, you heathen. That's not how it works. It's by, come see. What did Samuel preach on last week? He says, come, taste and see. And see, when people come, they come, they, they see. It. I think another example, we tell people all the time, don't clean yourself up before you come to church. 
You've ever had somebody, and there's a lot of people out there. You invite them to church, like, well, I'm kind of living in this situation or that situation. I don't know if I should. No, come. That's the, you got the order backwards if you think, get myself cleaned up before I come. That's not how it works. I'm sorry, Raylan. You, you're good. You're clean. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. She's checking. Clean her up before I hold her. Um, lost my train of thought. Uh, let's look at the next one here. Uh, encourage. So now here's a different one. Now this is going to be tough for some of you because some of you have one avenue of response to people that aren't where they're supposed to be and aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And it's, it's the first one. Warn them. Get a grip. <laughs> Straighten up. Stop it. <laughs> okay? There's three. Okay, people, there's three. Okay. Second one, encourage the faint-hearted. We had this word, this actually, we talked about this word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where I described it as entering into someone's story. Some of you may remember this, but this is when we're in Covington, we're just starting to get back together, and I used Samuel as an example, and I made him, I made him come up, there's this encourage, but then there was a second one where it's like, it has this word mythos, like story built into this word, like it's entering into someone's story. So this encourage is more than just like, come on, it's, come here, I'm with you, Okay? It's encouraged, like, like, help me write your story differently. Okay, let's look at this in a different way. And who are we to encourage? The word is translated here, faint-hearted. It's literally small-souled person. It's someone who is discouraged. It's used of people. Now, there's some that, that this is not where they're at. There's some that are very confident. I can do this. I got it. But, but there's some that really struggle with this. Now, I'm not going to classify. We're, we're not going to sort everybody out. You're this kind of person. You're the unruly kind of people, so we're going to warn you every time we see you, and you're, you're this kind of person. No, because it can be different things at different times for different people. There's sometimes there's people that are they're, they're discouraged. They're defeated in spirit. And they honestly, if you stuck them to a lie detector and said, do you think you're going to be able to pull through this? They would go, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to make it. And I love this verse because the response is different. With, with the one that's unruly, that's like, you're like, this is what, it, they know what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to be, this is how I'm supposed to act. And they're like, don't want to, right? What do you do? You warn them. Get in line. Come on. But with this person, they might look, the, the situation might look very similar. But what they need is somebody to come along and say, man, you, you can do this. You can do this. As a teacher, it's always very important I, this, this passage, the principles that are here, I've tried to let them infiltrate my mind. I'm telling you right now, with kids, knowing the difference, trying to determine where they're at is so important with these exact same things. But this passage is talking about, this is what, how we ought to be responding in the church, okay? In the church, how do we do this? We can take these principles out, we can t- use them. This is about what goes on in the church. But, so I think of myself with kids, some kids not doing what they're supposed to do, I need to say, just sit down. <laughs> Honestly, that's sometimes all it is. Please, just sit down. Just sit. Five minutes. Some of them, it's not sit down. It's you can, you can do this. I've tried. I can't, I can't. 
can't do it. They, they don't try, and they act out in certain ways, but it's not because they're just trying to be unruly. It's they genuinely don't think they can do this. They feel like, why am I in this stupid math class? I'll never get through. Encourage the faint-hearted. These are not the same thing as the unruly, so we're going to respond differently. Now, third one here. So we're going to warn the disorderly. We're going to encourage the discouraged. The third one here, help the weak. This one was fascinating to me. This were every single one of my commentaries. I always read this passage that the weak was spiritually weak people. This word is not talking about people who are spiritually weak. It's actually talking about people that are physically weak in some area. The last one's those spiritually weak people, those discouraged people. This is talking about people who literally could have a disability. Using my illustration from school, there's some people that, some kids, they're not doing their homework because they just don't want to. There's some that go, they're not doing their homework because they don't understand it and they're just frustrated. There's some that go, I can't read. <laughs> right? I can't, I can't read. I don't know how to read this. Or they're dyslexic. Or they're, right? I mean, there, there could be issues. I've had, I've had students before um, that they didn't want to answer things. that I, I didn't have stuff up on the board and they didn't want to answer that. I finally figured out just by watching this girl, she couldn't, she couldn't see. She would, she would get her, like when she'd go to do her work, she would get her um, homework out and she'd look at it like she'd squint. Like she couldn't see up close either. I, I would see her on her phone, like that close. She couldn't see. Teenage girl, didn't have glasses. And I'm like, okay, her, her issues are not, <laughs> she's being unruly. She's just not choosing to, I mean, can you imagine me going to that girl and saying, you know, I'm sick of you not doing your homework. Would that have accomplished anything at all? Would it have accomplished anything if I would have said, you could do this? No. Is she suddenly going to be able to go, I can see. That would be awesome. I'm not saying I wouldn't love to be able to do that. See. See, I can see. That'd be awesome. God hasn't given me that, that, that opportunity yet. I'm not close to it, Lord, if you ever want to. But in that case, what did I need to do? I needed to go tell one of the counselors. I don't think she can see. What did they do? Then they went, they, they talked to her, they pulled their parents in. Hey, we can help. We know this person that can actually help get her glasses. That's what this is talking about. What does it say? Help the weak. Are you loving this verse? I'm loving this verse. How do we react to each other? There's three distinct ways. It requires some inspection, does it not? This last word, weak, can also refer to weaknesses physically, like disabilities. We can also refer to weaknesses um, financially, right? Some people, they know, I should go to church. And they wake up on Sunday morning and they go, hmm, bed is so comfy. And they choose bed over coming to church. I think I should warn them. <laughs> Get your butt up and go to church. <laughs> right? Some, some have had a horrible week. And the thought of stepping foot in here just reminds them of how they failed God this week. Is me telling that person, get your butt up and go to church, going to help them? No. For them, it's you 
in Christ are forgiven. Come. God is so good. He wants you here. We want you here. We want to see you. We want to help you. What can we do to encourage you, lift you up? And some people, it's just say, we love you, and we miss you when you're not here. Some don't go to church because they don't have any gas money. They don't have a car. Right? Brothers and sisters in Christ, that they're wanting to do what God wants them to do, but they can't. There's something keeping them from doing that. How can we do, how, what, what do we do? Do we, do we yell at them? I don't care how far away you live, you walk yourself here. Fortunately, my dad doesn't do that with Chuck. He lives out in the state line. Not to put my dad on the spot, but what does he do? Chuck can't get here, what does he do? He drives out and gets him. Right? Almost every Sunday that he comes, drives out and gets him. He hates the fact that I'm pointing him out right now. But that's what this is about, help. Help. It's not that we need to have as a church, we need to develop a bus ministry so that that gets taken care of. Do you understand that? It's that we as God's people go, where, does, where is help needed? We got our help radar on. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, they're struggling. <laughs> right? Can I give you a lift? You see how this works? It's not about a program. It's not about a ministry. It's not about those things. Even here, it's not about, the, it's about these things. Which brings me to this last point. Oh, so important. Very important. Because it's very easy to jump to one of those three, is it not? I know them. I know exactly what's going on. I'm going to rip them a new one. <laughs> Right? I'm going to... Patience. This, this word is sometimes, in, in order to translate, it's translated long-suffering. It's slow to, to anger. It's slow to the response. It's, it can also be translated a very long fuse. So this is the word that goes, okay, let me stop and analyze What's going on here? You know what this looks like, honestly? This can look like asking questions. Hey, I missed you last week. Where were we at? Well, what's going on? What happened? Doing some investigating. Patience with all. Regardless of situation, patience with all. One of my commentaries put it this way. He said, each group had special needs that could generate reactions in others that would be out of harmony with the call to love one another. The principle of love one another, we hear that. We know it. But how? How do we do it? Patience was to be exercised at all times and towards everyone, whatever their situation or problem. Patience with all. Now, to wrap up, I'm going to give you a couple of examples, okay? Um, I have... You probably don't know this. I have three kids. I've got Samuel. Of course, none of them are in here. Where are they at? Where? Simone's in here. Oh, I hadn't said that one yet. I've got, we have shared custody with Simone, right, Bruce? Yes. That's my, that's my third child, my daughter. 
<laughs> um, so I thought to myself, because they're the few people that I can put on the spot and embarrass anytime I want. I'm going to use them as my examples, okay? So let me give my first example. I, this first one I actually got from Samo. I was trying to think of an example because the reality is what this ends up looking like. There, there's things that people can do amongst this body that it, it might look the exact same way, but it could be, it could in different people require different responses. Okay? So let's say, let's do the first one. I, I asked Samo, I said, what, what are some ideas? And he, he just, he went to a real simple one, but the more I thought about it, the more I said, I love that. Um, he said, being mean, right? Snapping at somebody. So let, let's say, Joe, one of my kids, Sam, the other one, Simone, my third kid, sort of. Uh, I see them after work. Hey, how'd it go today? What do you care? Or Joe would probably say, your mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're serving outside. That's why they're out there. <laughs> right? Hey, they snap at me. Okay, now. I know some of you parents be like, that would be the last thing they did. <laughs> you know, you, you look at him and go, do you remember um, Tommy? No, he did that to me once. <laughs> I don't remember Tommy. I know. He snapped at me. And now he's no more. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, in all honesty, I, I think that this actually really does apply to your younger brothers and sisters in Christ who we call our children, okay? Um, let's say, with some investigation, I find out that the reason why Simone, she's never snapped at me, by the way. Um, let's say Simone snapped at me because she had been dealing with the people at that warehouse all day, giving her... To, does this ever happen, Simone? Giving you a hard time all day. Oh, just, you know, and she, I mean, and she just was worn down. That, that was, I found this interesting about that, that um, the faint-hearted. Uh, it can also talk about people who have been worn down. Like, you might go to work in the morning and be like, I'm going to do everything for Jesus today. And by noon, you're like, I'm going to do everything for Jesus except for that guy because I'm going to punch him in the face. <laughs> Right? And then you, as the day progresses, you, you have this, right? It's, it's like by the end of the day, you're like, I might love somebody for Jesus. <laughs> you know, or you're at the end of the day going, I just hope Jesus still loves me. Um, but but it, it's that wearing down, right? So there needs to be that, what, what, with that person, with that person, if it's, it's worn out, they know what they're doing, they're attempting to do it, they're, they're headed that direction, but they're worn down through the course of the day. It could be a lot of things. Maybe there was other things that could have tied up to it. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, without a car, right? That probably tried your patience, didn't it? Maybe it's something else. Maybe little sweet Darius was not sleeping all night. Right? And the things are thin, and I'm trying to be patient. I'm trying to do the right thing. And, and, and she snaps with that response. What, I, what, I, what ought I to do at that point? After I find out, you could do this. You, you're operating not through your own power, but through the power of the Spirit of God to do what's right. You, you got this. Now, Joe, when he snapped at me, I'm going to tell you right now, he's so quiet. Sometimes he just likes to be mean. You'd never know it, would you? 
So he might have snapped at me, and after some investigation, I feel it, figure out, he, go, he might say, and I, I'm not even making this up, he might go, I thought it was funny. <laughs> well, that's mean. <laughs> do I need to encourage him at that point? <laughs> Buddy, you can do it. <laughs> no, what do I need to do? Listen, pal, you're not going to talk to me that way again. This is how you ought to talk. You didn't do it. Get in line, buddy. Right? Now, Sam, uh, a lot of you don't know this, he's, he's always struggled with blood sugar. And one of the things that happens with a drop in blood sugar is irritability. Um, his whole, and I can remember, there's been some times, what, you blaming that's why you're irritable? Is that what no. you're, oh. <laughs> uh, I was being oh, mean. you? <laughs> I was being mean to Ashley. Oh, you were being mean to Ashley? Oh, nice. I'm oh, okay, it's okay. Um, Samuel, there's been some times where he's, he's snapped at us, and after some investigation, you know what he needed? He didn't need me to go, watch it, pal. He didn't need me to go, hey, you can do this. He needed a peanut butter and a honey sandwich. <laughs> yeah, here's some food. A bite of peanut butter. We take, a, we take a spoon, squirt some honey in it, and go, open your mouth. <laughs> right? Honestly, but that's the reality with all of us. And the reason why we need to talk about it, not just because Paul talked about it, but because you need to know, there's, you might need to take some patience with all to take a step back and think, how ought I to respond to this person? And I think some of you in, are honest. Your default might be get a grip, warn, straighten up. My default, I usually default into the uh, middle one. You can do it. You can do it, buddy. Sometimes people don't, that's not what they need to hear. They need to hear me go, put my t-shirt on, you hear my pastor voice. Let me give you another example. Um, use these kids again. Let's say, let's say, meet up with them, and I see Simone. Right? You ever see somebody just downcast? I see Joe, he comes home from work, opens the door, shuffles him. I know somebody going, is that different than normal? No. <laughs> Sam comes back, right? Depressed, discouraged. You can tell it right away. I could. Respond the same way, because last time it was this, this, and this. Does that mean it's going to be the same way this time? Let's say Samuel has been wallowing in self-pity all day as I start to investigate. Woe is me. Life is horrible. And all day, that dialogue with himself. Does he need a, you can do it, buddy. He might need a, Put your big boy britches on. <laughs> right? That, that may be what he needs. I, I'm telling you right now, it requires some serious investigation, does it not? It's so difficult to know at surface level. You might say, I know that person. Sometimes you don't know. Let's say Joe 
Um, he's taken a gap year this year, which means he's working full-time. So he's gone from school to working full-time, the day in, day out. Go to work and out, in and out. In, here, I'm working, I'm home. I'm working, I'm home. You, you know, that you guys, some of you have to think way back to when that first started, right? The day in, day out of work. You remember that? It, it can be a drag sometimes, can it not? You, I always feel like there's phases of it. Like you get a new job and you're like, yay! And then after a while you're like, this stinks! <laughs> and then if you stick with it long enough, you're like, it's my life. <laughs> Joe might need encouraged. Right? I know that you entered adulthood, and as they say, it was a lie. <laughs> adulthood stinks. And you might be looking back, but you, you can do that. God has purpose for you in your job, at home, everywhere. Simone, she might be discouraged because I don't want to put her on the spot. Once again, let's say Darius. I keep blaming Darius. Why am I blaming Darius? He's a handful. He might just be going through a fussy phase, right? And what she actually needs is not a, I mean, she's keeping at it. But what she might need is somebody to say, I'll watch him for an hour or two. And she's like, or 10 weeks. <laughs> Let you get a nap. She's down because life is... So I want to encourage you. Right there, be patient. I want you to be urged from the beginning of this. I want you to be urged to do that. I'm urging you to think. This is how we want to interact with each other for a couple of reasons. One is because of what I started off with. I want you to be, and I want me to be a, a light to the world and a salt to the earth, and I want people to look at Edgewood, because this is the one we have our fingers, I want people to look at, say, man, I want to be part of that. There's something special going on in that community of faith, right? I want to be a part of that. I want to I see what's going on there. It's good. I want you guys to be, be energetic about it, inviting others in here. There's something special going on there, but you need to know how to interact each other, right? You need to know how to interact. All right, I'm going to pray, and then you're going to be dismissed. I want you to go out there. I don't want you to take these things. You can take some principles. I want you to expect from the world what the world is going to give you. But I want, to, I want you to set your hopes in God's organization, the church. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, and I just thank you for everyone that's here. And I just ask now, Lord, that you would help us to respond in love to one another. Help us to have that patience to determine how we ought to be and the way we ought to respond. Lord, help us to have the wisdom to know which one it ought to be. Help us to have the willingness to change. If we start to go down one route and we figure out, no, this person needs encouragement or this person needs help. Help us be willing to adjust our responses in, in accord with where the person is struggling. Lord, give us that wisdom. Lord, you promised it. I ask that you would give it to us. In Christ's name, amen.